It's happy times and places in which I, Toby Haydoke, get a friend to nominate a Doctor Who story. They choose their favourite things about it, and then without knowing, I have to guess what those favourite things might be. Hi, Toby. As you can see, I'm wearing my finest Toby Haydoke tribute outfit today. Uh, my name's Matt Hayden. Uh, I train people in conflict management, teamwork, communication skills, uh, cultural diversity, things like that. And all of these fascinating topics, I think, are examined in immense detail in my choice of story, which comes from 1985, when I was a fresh-faced 19-year-old. It's The Two Doctors, and I'll be fascinated to see what you think of it. Well, uh, welcome everybody. Uh, I have spent the day doing Doctor Who commentaries, but not for happy times and places. This is for uh, some BBC releases called Miserable Times. No, it's for, it's it's uh, it's uh, I've been commentating with people um, from the show for. If you're a patron listening to this, for something that has yet to be announced. If you're a non-patron. It's probably been out for years and has probably been discontinued because it is on, a, on an archaic medium. That's the difference between how far ahead the patrons are from you listing on uh, iTunes or Podbean or one of those. Um, so is that a little bit of a plug to say if you want to get things earlier? Uh, subscribe to my Patreon feed. Um, if not, uh, welcome from the past where, oh, God, we, we, uh, we still have prawns. And uh, we still have COVID um, uh, and uh, civilization as we know it still persists. So um, you've heard from my friend Matt, uh, who is not a Doctor Who fan, uh, but he knows he's a film buff and he knows enough about Doctor Who. But Matt is the sort of person I like because even though he's not a Doctor Who fan, he could probably he, he could he could tell you all of the Doctors. I mean, he could identify Bernard Archard at 10 paces, I should think. And yet he's not a Doctor Who fan. Um, and I know some Doctor Who fans who couldn't identify Bernard Archard at 10 paces. Bregan in Power of the Daleks, Marcus Scarman in Pyramids of Mars. Um, but Matt knows his stuff, but because he's not a fan fan, although he is, you know, he's aware of it and he's a geeky enough guy that if he's got a passing interest in a subject, he'll know quite a lot more about it than most people. Uh, so I think he's a really interesting proposition and he's also a good friend of mine and I'm very fond of him. So uh, I, I wanted him to take part. Uh, and he's one of the few people thus far that has chosen a Colin Baker. I say that I've had a few more people have chosen Colin Bakers but haven't actually recorded their things yet. So this is only my second Colin Baker, um, who was, you know, a doctor I saw when he went out. And this was one of the stories I saw. Uh, when it went out so this is exciting for me and I know it's a story that divides people uh, but let us now embark uh, so I hope you've got your do you can hear my DVD uh, menu in the background I should think uh, and I do like that music uh, I'm on play all which I'm going to select in three two one now oh and it has moved so it's gonna go ba-boom right the first I heard of the two Doctors, I wasn't a subscriber to Doctor Who magazine. I couldn't afford it, so I wasn't uh, fully up to speed. But I did. I was on holiday, I think, or I'd got some pocket money, and 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 we went past a uh, a, a shop in a town because I didn't even live in a town. So there had to be a confluence of things that enabled me to get my mitts on Doctor Who magazine. It wasn't that it was in the local newsagent. There wasn't such a thing, um, uh, and I would stare longingly at it and not been able to buy it. Um, uh, uh, so so anyway, got the hands on Doctor Magazine. Oh, and this starts in black and white. I think that's a lovely, lovely touch. And I was very excited by this because, and and I was never sure. Uh, no, I, 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 I think part of me initially hoped that was a that was a clip from an old uh, Doctor, uh, and and it was cleverly cut in with a new Doctor because just the idea that a fragment of an old Doctor Who story might be uh, in in modern Doctor Who was enough to convey greatness upon it because anything old was good. Um, that seems odd. Or that seems odd now, especially as somebody getting old. Um, but, but 
well, I will come on to this. It's an important part of my digestion of the two Doctors, and I think it's an important part of the makeup of a Doctor Who fan, uh, or this particular one. Um, uh, but the first I heard of the two Doctors was I bought Doctor Who magazine, and it had got the, you know, um, the stories coming up are... Uh, and it and it said you know and and it, and it mentioned the two doctors as one of them. I don't know if it mentioned all of the stories, um, or whether they let them out piecemeal. But it mentioned that the two doctors was going to be three episodes, the, and the rest of the stories it mentioned were, of course, it said two parters. And I was like, what? Because obviously I'd missed the edition of Doctor Who magazine that told you that Doctor Who for this season was going to be, um, you know. 40, 45 minute installments rather than 25 so the idea that everything was of course a two-parter was yet another thing where modern who was terrible because it wasn't like old who because two-parters two-parters always seemed a bit apologetic you know like uh, black orchid and the king's demons and, and the awakening uh i like the awakening but it, they never seemed like full stories so the idea that story might be 50 minutes long i mean who would think you could have enough story in something 50 minutes long uh seemed an appalling idea but then of course i was mollified later when i when i it, it became apparent that uh, the episodes were actually longer than episodes we were we were used to um, but I remember saying to my brother, oh, and they're going to do one called uh, The Two Doctors and him going, oh, isn't that idea getting a bit thin now because they'd recently done The Five Doctors and uh, and, and uh, we, of course, were aware of uh, The Three Doctors and it had been repeated as part of The Five Faces of Doctor Who. Uh, and I thought he'd be excited because, again, it's it's Patrick Troughton, so it's old Doctor Who. But he said, oh, isn't that, isn't that getting a bit over-familiar, that idea now? It's like, oh, because I was seeking approval. Um but um sorry i know some people don't like me drinking so i won't drink i, I just got a bit of a dry throat I've, I've stopped eating in these things which is uh, appropriate for a story that turns the stomach here is shokai o the Quansing grig played by the glorious john stratton who i suspect uh, some people still might not have put two and two together uh, and i was terribly shocked when i saw a piece of work i'm now hugely familiar with quatermass in the pit um, and and I think I'd read that John Stratton was in it. And as I was watching it, because it was all edited together when I first saw it on a BBC video, uh, I was trying to work out who John Stratton could have been because it was ancient and black and white. I reckoned he could have been anybody. Um, and of course, he didn't have Rice Krispies on his face. But I was shocked to discover he was the heroic uh, army captain, Captain Potter, who's the sort of romantic lead and is and is rather good looking in it. Um, I think he, w he went to seed quite quickly. Uh, Stratton, because by the time he's, because uh, he's 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 rather beautiful in um, uh, the Cruel Sea, a movie that he's in uh, in in the late fifties as well. He has quite a a, a big part in um, alongside some cinema greats. Um, but by the time he's in the newcomers, a decade later, his sort of hair is thinned out. And I say that as somebody whose own hair is thinned out, and and he'd and he'd got a bit rotund. And I think he was quite a sort of pallid. I I've, I've know people who worked with him who who who's described him as a very sweaty actor. I think he I think he, he uh, I can imagine him having quite a clammy handshake. Um, and I think he had sort of quite pallid, damp skin, and he, I, I think he had a nervous reaction to performing, which meant that he got he got you know his his shirt soaked through very very quickly, and I think he had to change his shirt. So. Um, Yes, he was. A, that's my John Stratton anecdote. He was quite a sweaty man. Uh, <laughs> um, but and, I, and sadly, his I was looking him up recently. Um, his death, he was because he was a respected member of the acting profession. His death was not reported in any newspaper, nor even the stage uh, newspaper for actors. And he was only sixty-five uh, when he died, and he'd had a, you know, he'd had a, he'd had a. A good career, which had petered out into being a character actor, but he gets he gets top billing here. He's seen as the star amongst, you know, such uh, recognisable faces as Jacqueline Pierce and Lawrence Payne, who had been uh, a, a, a sort of a film star. Um, so uh, anyway, I think John Stratton is glorious as Shockeye, the Quansing Grig. Uh, he's the sort of character you can sort of only get away with in Doc Two. And here is Jacqueline Pierce. As I never had a pleasure with John Stratton, I wrote to him uh, and never heard back. But I wrote to him, Kerry's his agent, and I wonder uh, now if I'd been better off going via Equity, who used to forward letters to people's homes addresses in those days, until autograph hunters made them think better of it. And now genuine researchers can't get through to actors directly. 
well it depends it depends what mood equity are in but it certainly made things more difficult um uh anyway um lawrence payne here who had retired pretty much from acting at this point and uh, uh and peter and peter moffat had said uh Oh, come on, come out of retirement to do it. Lawrence Payne, of course, had been Johnny Ringo in The Gunfighters, which was a part that Patrick Troughton was uh, considered for, funnily enough. Um, uh, and Lawrence Payne was also Morix in episode one of The Leisure Hive, reuniting him with his Vampire Circus uh, co-star, uh, Adrienne Corrie. The, the fascinating thing about Lawrence Payne is that uh, oh, I'm sure there's a trivia question in that. What links Dastari Bygan from uh, For to Doomsday? And I've just got to see if there's one other. Um, oh, Kevin Stoney, uh, Mavic Chen. They all have, I think Kevin Stoney only had one eye. Um, uh, but I, I, I'm happy to stand corrected in that. I don't know if he lost it. Oh, Anat from Day of the Daleks. Uh, so there's certainly you can, if if I do some proper research, this has only just occurred to me. Lawrence, what I'm trying to say in a roundabout way is that Lawrence Payne, who played Dastari, only has one eye because uh, the actor Basil Henson and he were having a sword fight in an episode of Sexton Blake. And uh, there was an accident and, uh, uh, and it caused uh, uh, Payne to lose, lose one eye. Um, uh, but what I think of... Lawrence Payne in this, who I think is an actor of great dignity, and he's got that really slightly pinched accent that he has. He was from London, but he's got that that uh, that sort of slightly pinched diction that he has that makes makes him noticeable even if you're not looking. I think you can always tell when it's Lawrence Payne talking. Um, uh, he reminds me here of the of the of a of something that was a, 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 a an image emblazoned in my mind from my youth as, as the bloke from the video of video killed the radio star the bloke from the buggles because he had quite funky glasses and i'm sh i'm sure i read an interview with lawrence payne where he said that those glasses uh, were prescription glasses for him that cost about 300 quid uh whereas he'd got his own glasses that that were would have been perfectly done the job um and that that 300 quid could have been sent on say a better set here or better Santaramas or something um i like i like these scenes between dastari and the doctor um i think lawrence payne has great dignity and and he uh, and great sort of that controlled passion that he has uh, i like his lines about saying our seed is thin that is a very nice robert holmes in peace dialogue and i love this bit nicholas fawcett uh, as the technician who is also uh, he's now there's an actor called nick fawcett on imdb also listed as not being nicholas fawcett they separate them they're the same guy and he's still going today uh and and, and i feel sorry for him because um, i'm looking at this when he said operate the defense i thought he that was the close-up like when he's here he, he actually only says one line when you can see his face uh and, and the rest of him is sort of off screen because it's the Sontaran uh ships but i love that it's done with such economy you're you're you know you're they're showing how uh the the, the space station is getting invaded uh and and what it is is it's a, a a guy playing a small part noticing the thing getting killed blah 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 he does the job very nicely uh and he's yes he's still acting today nick Fawcett, and he is that nicholas Fawcett and nick Fawcett are the same person that imdb does not realize and that was the first time and i'd loved the Sontarans, uh, since the, the Doc 2 magazine archive of uh, the Time Warrior, which had some great pictures in it. Uh, and I love uh, the, the image of Lynx. And, and there's a picture with that that made me fall in love with Elizabeth Sladen. And I've uh, always had a soft spot for the Time Warrior. And I'd never seen the Sontarans in action. Uh, and that Doctor Who magazine that talked about the two Doctors hadn't said the Sontarans were back. And I think a future issue that I didn't get must have done. So the first I knew of the Sontarans coming back was that scene with the technician and seeing the Sontaran spaceships. So I was cock-a-hoop and in seventh heaven at the anticipation now of seeing Sontarans, one of the great monsters of Doctor Who that I'd not seen. And I was also predisposed to like this because Patrick Troughton was by now... I think my favourite Doctor because I loved him in the Five Doctors and because he was from the olden days and uh, I, I love the way that Colin Baker does does this food stuff the way he describes uh, cooking the cooking the gumball jacks in their own juices is a beautiful piece of uh, foodie acting uh, 
and, and it's clever because you're talking about because because food is good if something is steeped in its own juices it's a it's a good way of flavoring something and using the the, the most of the beast if, if if you were but it's also pretty grim if you boil it down to what it's sort of talking about so i think that's very clever it has that clever duality of what consuming a living creature is um i for the record am a non-meat eater but i i do eat fish I, I wanted to give up fish when i was younger and my mum wouldn't let me because um i had to get some protein and she was doing the cooking and she was colin baker uh, i think does the fish fish holding acting extremely well there i i think you buy that that is an actual moving fish i even think you could sort of see it moving but it's not um but i think he sells the illusion of that very well i'm enjoying the two doctors i hope you are uh, i know it divides people um but uh yeah i was i was very very happy to see patrick troughton back um because he was my favorite. it didn't actually occur to me the whole time lord thing riding roughshod over what we knew of doctor but it now seems a very odd decision for a story that for a for a series that was so fastidious about throwbacks to the past it then makes a major howler and i know yeah you can now go oh yeah well because he's got gray hair it's season six be it set after the war games yeah that 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 sort of gymnastics um uh I'm not sure should be required if you're doing something uh, that is that is just for people that don't go into it in that much detail but you know remember the the general sort of timelines of the show um I think these things shouldn't make if if you're looking back to the past you shouldn't then make it more complicated and contradictory although I'm also sympathetic to Robert Holmes's thing of just going uh, I'll throw in whatever I want if it helps with the telling of the story um but did and I suppose you do need the time lords for this so anyway it is what it is and yeah okay it's season 6b um uh, i i i i as i say i like i like this stuff between them i think it's interesting isn't it that they start with the seventh doctor a uh, second doctor it's quite brave to start without your leading man uh uh and i actually i do feel for for, for colin baker because um I mean, like in Revelation of the Daleks, where he arrives in the story an episode late, uh, all the exciting things going on while he's walking towards the venue of the story. Um, this is very much at the moment a, a seventh Doctor, second Doctor story. Why do I keep saying seventh Doctor when I mean second? Um, your diplomatic, uh, uh, Patrick of Razor Hines have a great, uh, a, a, a great report. Fraser Hines there aren't many actors that you could cast um 20 20 years after they've they've done it and and them still you know pass for the same age i mean Troughton hair has gone gray uh, but but fraser hines still has the youthful look i now I, again i love the economy of this we you know nowadays you'd see the whole invasion force and all that sort of thing this you go we've got some excellent music we've got an extra he's called fernand monast i think he's also one of the dancers in black orchid um come in and say professor and get shot bit of music you see the hand and the weapon uh you see uh jamie i was gonna i think runoff is 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 quite generous he sort of ambles off <laughs> um but i i love that whole sequence uh, I love the the face off between the Doctor and Dastari. I do get the impression of old friends. I do get the impression that the Doctor's um, wayward w way of behaving is slightly at odds with the dignity of the the scientist and the scientist who also is quite affronted by the Time Lords. I I like I, I buy that whole relationship and I think they do it very well. But I love that. I love the Sontaran theme. I love the I I don't know. There's something I just I love an extra running off on and saying something and, and a laser gun killing him because it's all it's all a sort of it's a confluence of the the things you had at your disposal. Um, you know, nowadays you can have laser beams flying around all over the place, but that was a that was an effect that took some putting on, and so you didn't see many of them. So it was exciting just to see a laser beam. Um, it was exciting to see glimpses of a Sontaran because, as I say, I'd not uh, I'd not seen them up to this point. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm 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 thrilled by the whole invasion of the the spaceship bit. It's exciting. Um, but it is it is worth examining why because something is old um such that this is old enough the where the hero can have a knife uh <laughs> because you wouldn't you wouldn't do that nowadays it's interesting is it how knives were seen as fairly low key forms of violence you could 
you could stab somebody, throw a knife in somebody's back, and that was less visceral somehow than than shooting somebody because um, people had knives. And now you go, not a chance, because knives are imitatable and, and uh, te- actually terrifying. God, knife crime is so, um, uh, uh, you know, such a blight to our streets. And yet it was people messed about with knives. I mean, I my brother, we, we'd got a few knives lying around because my my dad had picked them up on his travels so old army knives and things like that and my i mean my brothers used to play a game where they stood on the lawn and threw the knife at each other's foot i'm not sure this was a game sanctioned by my parents but but my but we lived out in the countryside you were sort of left to your own devices um and yeah they and they played a game where you and, and one of my brothers did actually spear the other brother in the foot um but that was just seen as sort of childhood hijinks um but this is a fairly gruesome story. But yes, we're um, the, the idea of the past. I was so beguiled by the past because I, I, at this point I had no access to videos of old stories. Uh, your purity could well become insufferable. I think that's an excellent line. And it's one I want to sometimes say to people who preach on Twitter. <laughs> um, uh, and I, Jacqueline Pierce. Uh, was was a replacement uh for elizabeth spriggs who plays uh tilda or, uh, tabby uh in uh paradise towers who was an estimable actress a fine shakespearean actress but i can't imagine her as jacini at all uh it's a fine actress she would have been a very different jacini but i think what jacqueline pierce has she has that sort of forlorn sexual longing that she you know i can i certainly buy her as a because the, the, the androgams are creatures of you know visceral instinct and and um uh, uh, and satisfying of sort of lusty pleasures uh, but she's been augmented beyond that but that that underlying sort of animal um uh sort of magnetism that 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 that, that she she has a sort of longing about her that's quite sort of forlorn and melancholy uh that i think really works and there is a bit i think i wasn't over the moon about her being in this simply because she reminded me of serverland and i'd seen load of blake seven so i didn't need doctor who to have blake seven in it for it to to be to be uh to be special or to impress my mates or whatever so conscious of impressing my friends but actually i i i think she's she's terrific in this and uh uh and I think she's terrific in Blake Seven. She has a, a wonderful sensuality about her. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm desperately trying to imagine Elizabeth Spriggs playing the part, and I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I can. Um, would have been very, very different. And I believe that that that, that Jacqueline Pierce was going to be saddled with Elizabeth Spriggs's wig, um, but then that got lost on the way to Spain. So then she was allowed different hair. So that was a happy accident for her, unless, unless she actually she actually found it got. I think it was lost on, on the flight, but uh, unless she uh, hit it. The doctor's still not really in the story. Oh, I suppose he is. I suppose at least they've got the the psychic connection bit where he's felt. Um, anyway. I'm trying to talk about the past. Um, f- for me, anything that had a connection with old Doctor Who was somehow better um, because that was a golden age. And I, I think it's just because it wasn't reachable. And I felt that anything that might, as I say, if I thought that this had two seconds of an actual Troughton story in it, that would automatically have made it. I remember the reason I liked Earthshock was because it had clips from three old stories in it actually Earthshock on its own is an absolutely splendid story and it's nothing to do with that flashback sequence but but when I was making lists in my head as a kid Earthshock was the best of that season because it had got bits from old Doctor Who in it what a what a self-loathing this the stuff that's the stuff that's present to me can't be as good as the stuff that was around before I was born Um, what a self-loathing way of behaving towards the show and that was that was pretty much uh how I behaved towards the show throughout my lifetime with it, watching it and enjoying it, but always with an an, an aching sense that I'd somehow missed out on on what had gone before. Uh, uh, it shows that that it shows that looking looking back can sometimes be well. It is, isn't it? It's very dangerous. All those people who sort of look back at the past as a sort of golden age. Uh, and reject anything from the present are largely very unhappy people and also wrong you know there wasn't never was a golden age mike um 
And I'm glad I've learned that lesson now. The lighting here is lovely. I think this is this is effective. This dead dead space station stuff. Um, I think that scene with uh, Jamie and uh, Shockeye could have done with that corridor maybe being a bit scored with laser blasts or something because it, it did look like it was sort of almost separate from the from the you know ransacked space station which really needed to look like it had been you know absolutely knackered there should have been perhaps a fire in them in a, in, a, in in you know you, if you did that now you'd have hanging cables you'd have exposed flames and all of that sort of thing it it just looked like it was slightly separate i will never quite get to the bottom of why jamie turns into a, a growling beast um i don't know what that says about that's a comment on dear fraser hines so like yeah if we leave you alone for more than a couple of weeks mate you're gonna go feral <laughs> See, you need, yeah, this, this suggestion of all this, you know, destruction, uh, I think you sort of needed in that, that scene of Jamie in the corridor. Um, uh, but this is, this is nice, uh, you know, ex exploring, you know, after the battle. Ooh, bloodstained. Uh, yeah, that's very grim. Um, and I've got to, of course, think of what Matt, now Matt's not a fan, you see. So... I wonder if he'll identify different things because I know he's had to watch this specially, um, uh, you, you know. So I, 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 I doubt he went in with particular things, but he might be much more general than I would be inclined to be. He might just say Patrick Troughton. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I, he might say something about Nicola Bryant because he's Matt is many things: an intelligent, uh, funny, charming man who's also quite unreconstructed. That's the end of episode one. Uh, this, of course, is an old-fashioned six-parter. It threatened the Time Lords. The computer voice is Lawrence Payne. Uh, I think if I'd been Nicholas Fawcett, I'd have been a bit upset that I wasn't chosen to do the computer voice because, obviously, you're getting an actor that you're already paying for um, that you don't have to credit for another part. And Lawrence Payne's already got plenty to do. Um or Tim Raynham, who plays Val. But anyway, I think Lawrence Payne is an excellent computer voice. And you get more, you're getting more out of one of your star actors. Uh, but when uh, another Doctor Who magazine I remember very well is the one that had the episode guide from this. And I was very cross with it because in the credits it had the Doctor, then Perry, and then Patrick Troughton got third billing. I was like, I hope he didn't get that in the episode. I hadn't remembered, of course, because uh, I don't like the idea of a companion ever getting credited. Uh, before the Doctor or the idea that it, the Doctor, the second Doctor might be guest cast, but he wasn't. He gets second billing in this, and rightly so. Um, uh, but uh, the the episode guide in Doctor Who magazine broke the episodes up into... Um, it, it showed what uh, the episode endings were for, I think, the American market or certainly some sections of the international market where they were still being broadcast as 25 minutes. So obviously these uh, extra long episodes had uh, episode endings imposed upon them. And the first one for the two Doctors is when the computer goes, it threatened the Time Lords, which although it's a sort of incidental part of this, it's a, it's a bluff that the Doctor uh, is fed in order to distract from the nefarious plans of the actual uh, uh enemies it, it, it has a bit of uh time lord conspiracy theory as window dressing throughout the story because rob holmes liked having a go at the time lords as well um i, I bet that's matt's favorite bit <laughs> where the doctor picks up perry it wouldn't surprise me um uh, but that's so i think that's quite an effective uh episode ending um as we will discover they might not all be quite so effective now this this was enough to get peter moffat lambasted by fandom uh, in that the Sontaran removing his mask is in long shot. It's not even in long shot. It sort of cuts away because he doesn't fully get his mask off in, in the long shot. And the idea that uh, a good director uh, always has the monster remove his mask uh, in close up, which uh, is, of course, so prescriptive uh, that you, could, you, you that, that doesn't have to be the only way that you do it. But it was enough was enough to be a sort of byword for Peter Moffat is a bad director because instead of showing off the really expensive, fancy location, uh, he should show off the monster mask because that is what Doctor Who traditionally does. Um, I, I don't think you necessarily have to, although I am surprised that we didn't get some form of establishment of the Sontaran close-up at any point. Um, but I, I don't think, uh, you know, when we first uh, get to the Hacienda, uh, that is the time to linger on uh, 
Are they the worst Sontaran masks? I think they might be. I think the Sontarans are, are actually creatures that that uh, in classic Doctor Who started with their very, very best design and costume and gradually got worse. I don't know. Uh, I, I may reconsider because I, I, I do recall uh, Stike having quite uh, mobile features, but... but Certainly, I think the collars on these ones are really duff. Uh, and I think Lynx is one of the best monster design and realizations in the Time Warrior uh, in, in the whole of Who. Um, and, but I remember finding them a bit clattery. Um, I think those collars need to be secure and they're not. Um, uh, but it's difficult because I haven't quite see, pardon me, seen the Sontaran yet because uh, Peter Moffat was filming where the money had been spent which was on the Hacienda. I Do we care that it's set in Spain? I know it's a great thing for BBC productions, but I, also, I always think the BBC was always slightly more... Uh, you know, because they'd always do... A, I remember Only Fools and Horses, didn't they go to Florida for a Christmas special? I think they're always more imp slightly more impressed than I was as a viewer. But geography has never been my thing, so full disclosure. Um, but I, I didn't bother me if it was set in Spain or if it was set in, you know... West West W one or you know Denham um, did 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 that wasn't the lure for me at all you know the lure for me was Sontarans and Patrick Trout but that's because I'm a nostalgist perhaps the past that's my geography another country i.e. the past um, but but perhaps for other people I'd be interested to hear if if uh, if the fact that it was in Spain actually made any difference to to, to to people watching at the time but it, it d didn't really particularly bother me it didn't didn't strike me as being a particularly different different setting do you know what i mean uh, to to anywhere else that had that had lots of film work you know just outside film work was a was enough to make some doctor seem different um and i remember particularly Lan you know lanzarotti the fact that lanzarotti and planet of fire is lanzarotti and san just seemed to me a bit too obvious but uh, anyway we'll talk about that when we get to planet of fire uh, all this sort of stuff about the, the the time lords being being bad guys and, it, and the doctor sort of believing it might be possible but hoping it isn't uh adds to sort of some nice a nice layer of sort of conspiracy uh to it um and and the idea that the the time lords might be up to no good uh i i, I think has it's quite a nice cynical backdrop for doc two uh Robert Holmes is very good at sort of broadening things out so that they have repercussions to worlds that we don't see, um, and and he's got and and this and I love I love a lot of his his dialogue that he he you know he dispenses little bits of texture so very cleverly. I also think there's some dialogue in this. I'm some of the the bantery dialogue. I don't I, I I'm not wild about. But the sort of has the Calgesic worn off and all those are, and us yes our, our race has grown tired and defeat our seed is thin. There's a lot of bits like that I like and the the uh, uh, I'm sure you could augment uh, an earwig to the point where it understood nuclear physics, but would still be a very stupid thing to do. He writes he writes some nice stuff for Troughton, um, and Troughton does that stuff so well. It's, it's that sense slight sense of desperation that he has about it, sort of ch ch childish desperation that he has. Uh, that is so good um but colin you know colin baker was was very much my doctor i was although i uh you know struggled with the present uh i and i'd not liked peter davison who i love now one of my favorite doctors he wasn't tom baker who had been my doctor so when colin baker came and wasn't peter davison uh i was a great fan and i quite i liked his testiness um and I, th I think he's got an edge to him as a doctor. Um, and I and I think, oh, you know, obviously the work he's done for Big Finish is so good. Because uh, uh, and I, I actually liked the costume at the time. I, I I'm now not not such a uh, a fan. I think it it it's, it smacks a little bit of desperation, and it looks like a costume. I think you could have the same. Well, because it's in such good nick as well. Um, because it's at a time when. You know, it looks like it looks like a BBC Light Ent production in in places, um, and and when the Doctor is the one that's screaming Light Ent, I think we are in a bit of a bit of trouble. And that's just about the look and the pristine nature of that costume. If it had been perhaps a bit dirted up and broken down, uh, 
and, and sort of so melded into the background just a little bit. But I, but as I say, I liked it at the time. Um, Amy Delamain, she's very convincingly Spanish. She's not. She was. She played. I mean, she played old ladies all the time, didn't she? She's one of those people who played old ladies forever. Um, she imagined her being born an old lady. Gosh, I bet she was. I'm sure she was probably born in the previous century, was she? Or uh, maybe not. No, maybe not. Um, but I think uh, in the brief couple of lines she's got, I wonder if they saw, if they considered Patsy Smart, the ghoul from uh, Talons of Wayne Chiang for this part as well, because I suspect there was just a handful of old ladies who, who cat fought for the various old lady parts going. Uh, but I think, she, I think she, I think, you are English. Yeah, I like the way she does her brief little bit. And, uh, and of course, he has to kill her and she has to die without making an old lady do a stunt fall. And I think that's done That's done pretty well. Uh, I remember watching this with some friends. They went, what, is that you killed her like that? Like, well, she can't chuck her against a wall. She's an old lady. And I like the little bits of sort of butchery uh paralysis stuff that uh that shock eye dispenses upon the animals i.e the humans um uh and he's i'm assuming they're gonna oh they don't cut away for a while <laughs> but i like the whole thing of uh john stratton's body language the way he wipes his hand on his protruding stomach um uh, ah, Jay Andrigam. Uh, no, Jay McGrath as dead Andrigam. Now, I'm remembering this. Fernand Monastas scientist. Haven't looked any of this up. This is in my head. Uh, dead Andrigam on your. I think Jay McGrath was an extra in other stuff as well. But uh, that, that's a few of the the sort of walk-on actors were credited in that episode guide, and they have stayed in my head. Uh, I don't know much else about Jay McGrath, but I uh, hope he was happy then, and if he's still alive now, is happy now fernand monast i did have to look up something because i think somebody was trying to identify some of the extras from from black orchid i think uh and i think he was in an episode of dempsey and Makepeace or something that i tracked down and he'd got a couple of lines in that he gets a credit in i think it might have been dempsey and Makepeace uh in order to help somebody identify him and i can't remember why it was now because this happens to me i get messages from people go do you know anything about these actors slash extras uh because i'm trying to identify who is who with something uh i'm 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 the unpaid actors advisor of the doctor who universe um <laughs> and I, it distracts me from doing the sort of work i should do to earn a living but uh i i do quite like it when i get sent a challenge to go do you know what happened to this guy um, and sometimes I know, and sometimes I've got a, a little bit of a head start, and sometimes I don't know, but uh, but I have a bash, um, and quite enjoy it. I like the archaeology, but I particularly like finding out about the people, partially because I, I I'm envious of anybody that's uh, that's uh, spent a time time on set in an episode of Doctor Who. I, I, it's interesting because I do like the Spanish setting now. It does give it a uh, a, a different feel and I think you know Peter Moffat gets a lot of stick but I know he he went ahead of schedule uh, and so some scenes that originally set inside are set outside and of course if they're set outside the scenes do look so much better um, and, and they get a little bit of an extra edge and I, uh, I, I I like these two guys hanging around in Spain um, I'm I, I I actually I love these guest characters um, uh, and the the Andrigam's interesting though, and I wonder because because Matt uh, he alluded to the fact that he talks he teaches people doesn't he about cultural differences and things like that. I wonder how he will take the idea that the Andrigams are predisposed to only be creatures of lust and pleasure, and that that the idea you might augment one with uh, superior intelligence is is a bad thing. How do we how do we take that? Obviously. In, in a show like Doctor Who, having an alien race that has a particular quality is what defines them as an alien race. The Sontarans are warlike, and that helps to tell the story and, and perhaps satirise a particular element of humanity because the aliens are a distillation of that particular thing you wish to examine about ourselves. But it does mean, therefore, that alien races aren't as diverse as say you know there are some warlike humans but not all because they're from one country for example there are uh, 
uh, you know, lustful humans, but not not because they're all from one country. It's a it's it's a trait that goes through a personality type rather than a racial or a species type. So, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm interested how we feel about. I don't mind because I, uh, I I like the fact that the Androgums are a vessel with which to uh, examine uh, the idea of you know. Um, gluttony and to 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 turn the tables on us and find us uh you know the 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 food stuff of desire uh and and for, for sh- the way that shokai talks about us as livestock i think is a is a witty is a witty joke um uh although this does have its livestock and eats it in terms of it's it's a story about how disgusting uh, uh gluttony uh is that also is uh poor uh, 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 that that also, you, you know, uh, is is pretty gruesome in its uh, in its execution. Uh, uh, you know, yes, it, it you know it extols the virtues of vegetarianism whilst um, reveling in uh, you know meaty murder. Um, and I I know a couple of you know very smart clever writer people who think this is a terrible script which is interesting because i've always had a soft spot for i've always liked it i will you know it's i'm not going to struggle to find things that i like about the two doctors and yet i can completely understand anybody that has a problem with it um you know there's there's absolutely no need for all this guff with the the doctor and 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 perry and in in and yet another variation of the ventilation stuff you know we're we're waiting for the for the main characters to get involved in the story uh, as i've said it is slightly hypocritical in that it's a it's a it's a call to arms for vegetarianism that revels in its uh, in its own excesses uh and and it does have you know a a, a few tonally questionable things uh, that we will talk about when we get to them. I don't want to anticipate one. I'm in two minds about one of them. I'm in absolutely one condemnatory mind about the other. Um, and yet, uh, I find I find the action of this quite enjoyable. I find the grotesqueness of it quite enjoyable. Um, I, I like the sort of black comedy of it. Uh, and... Uh, and actually, I, I found, as a youth because Doctor Who was starting to be seen as sort of a bit cheap and a bit quaint, when Doctor Who was, to, to, to coin, to, to, to echo a, a phrase that was soon to be used about it by one of its bosses, violent and unimaginative, that the violence to me was grown up. Now that's interesting, isn't it? That violence was seen as as, as grown up, but it was, it was what, it combated the low budget uh, for me. It combated the fact that you couldn't have... Um, uh, stuff that you had in more adult things um so so when it was sort of quite grim and people died and particularly if they bled or exploded um that that to me was you know this was the stuff um i i adore oscar and anita i adore anita i i mean i would i would run away with anita um i love her accent she, didn't she say of the Don Joanna? she is old and has white hair uh, i i uh, I I think Carmen Gomez is 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 uh, is is very winning, and I love James Saxon, who was pretty much my age, I think, when he died, not long after the DVD of this came out. Uh, now this is a scene, the one between uh, Shockeye and Val, that was supposed to be done indoors. Um, I love the way, sort of, you almost—he's almost got the shakes. Um, yeah, look at how he—he he, he shakes with sort of sensual pleasure. But he's obviously—he's obviously riddled with all sorts of diseases. Shock eye, uh, and I love the way he sort of spits out the the watermelon and calls it insipid filth. And watermelons are slightly disappointing and full of pips. Uh, they, they do have a beautiful underlying flavour. Um, I don't think they're the best designed of things, but I—I—I I, I, I love. I, I just adore what John Stratton does with Shot Shock I totally buy him as a as both a butcher but as also as somebody who appreciates food but also is a glutton with food. 
uh, you know, fancies himself as a as a gourmand, but he's actually a pig. And I and I think that there is that you know that's the fine line, isn't it, between somebody who appreciates food and somebody who's just greedy. Uh, and I and I think he captures all of that whilst being a sort of believable alien rogue. Um, I'm I'm enjoying John Stratton more and more as I talk about him. Um, and I love James Saxon. That's what I I think I wanted to, you know, I I I. I it, it only sort of slightly hit me that Oscar was an as an actor. I was so you know, bear in mind I was ten, eleven when this was on. Um, so I probably noticed at the at the time, but then I sort of forgotten as it was broadcast and it became a memory. And, and when it came back again, it it was clearer to me that you know that 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 Oscar's an actor, and I and it, and he is and he is the sort of. He's he's very much how actors are played on on television by actors. Even though I'm not sure I know any actors that are totally like him, or or do I? But I I I do adore uh, uh, Oscar because he he allows Robert Holmes to give him some uh, brilliant lines. And I do, is that in this episode where have I just been talking through it? Where he says, "Oh, I, I you know I love these." But she says, "Well, why do you kill them then?" <laughs> which I think is which. But again, that that captures that uh uh the the contradiction between uh you, you know somebody who appreciates things but also de de destroys them and and treats them very very badly um uh, uh and of course he's he's really largely there to provide uh, the means for uh, one of the questionable things that happens later but i'm not going to get ahead of myself now as we're getting to the end of this episode um where this is jamie's house yeah fraser this is what you'll do when you <laughs> uh when, when, when you've just been left with nobody to talk to you'll somehow throw away your kilt uh and dress as a garage mechanic uh who starts dribbling and forgets how to talk um uh and of course perry gets ravished and and uh Colin always does that sort of getting knocked unconscious sort of acting and all the sort of sci-fi stuff. He always does that very well. Um, and <laughs> Fraser's wrapping himself around Nicola Bryant there. <laughs> um, so that's the end of episode one of The Two Doctors. I love that. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't think it, uh, it treats... Um, Oh, Amy Delamay gets fourth. That's very interesting. Oh, because that's the only place she'll fit because of the other pairings. Yeah. Um, uh, I, you know, the, it struggles again to fit uh, fit the Doctor and Perry in. They are they are sort of slowly getting to the story. John Walker, excellent film cameraman. He had a good time with Doc Two because he was the film cameraman on City of Death as well. Um, and he was a film camera assistant on... Uh, abominable snowmen so he got to go to all the foreign locations spain france and wales um uh so uh no tony burrow uh no his brother was an actor called john darrell who i worked with but uh T tony burrow is an oscar nominated uh uh designer uh designed uh quite a lot of sets doctor in the 80s and is interviewed in the uh I'm just going to pause that. Interviewed in the 20th anniversary uh, Radio Time special, but has not contributed to the DVD or Blu-ray range, which I think is something it would be nice to uh, readdress because he got uh, an Oscar nomination for uh, Ian McKellen's Richard III and a very good set designer. Anyway, this is all the sort of stuff to be saying when the episode is on. Uh, now, I'm assume I think I told Matt to choose two things about each episode and then a bonus at the end. So I've got to choose two favourite things about uh, episode one of The Two Doctors. Well, the first, I think, he's not going to choose this. I'm, I, I'm sure he's going to say something about... He's going to, like, Perry's top or something. He's going he's gonna to try and rile me with something unreconstructed, Matt. I may be doing him a misservice, a disservice, and he may come across as an absolute gentleman, but scratch the surface um i i i sontar and attack i like and i think if i get any if he does any of these things i'll take it i like 
that that sequence from from the technician getting zapped the economy of that the scientist rushing in and the zap of the laser beam but particularly uh i think that the, that sontaran theme dum 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 dum, dum. Dum, dum, uh, which which is militaristic but it's also dramatic i just like that i like the attack on the base which and again with a, with a modern day doctor who budget you know have loads of explosions you've had you'd, you'd have the ships coming in uh in a in a in a big old model shot and you'd, you'd have various people getting slain and uh you know probably more aliens and all that sort of thing but it was told it's told with great economy it's it's done under you know it's done how you did doctor who then uh and i still think it's it's really dramatic and exciting although i think fraser should run slightly faster uh that's all that's because you could say sort of go i can't run too fast because the set's gonna come to an end um and and i think i've got to choose and i don't think coming into this i was gonna choose this but i uh, maybe not this stage but i think john stratton is so good uh so that so the whole sort of concept of the andrigams and and and, and you know as their sole representative because because uh jacqueline pierce is technologically augmented uh, and i just think the way uh that he plays it as a sort of slightly uh, sort of scabrous pirate. It's like he's got, yeah, he's, it's, it's, it's like he's sort of got scurvy, uh, and and he's that, that sort of slight shake that he has, and 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 the way that he uses his hands, and I even like the way he he sort of flourishes his knife uh, when when they go into the kitchen, um, and the the words that he gives. Uh, I think John Stratton is glorious, and I think I've, I mean I think all of the cast uh, are glorious. Um, and I know I have to avoid the temptation of just picking out the guest cast because I know things about them and bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. But I think I think everything that John Stratton embodies, a shock eye, uh, uh, you know, in, in terms of how important it is to the story because of what the Androgums are. I think he he nails them as a species and as their sole sort of full representative. Um, I think he does sterling work and it's a glorious performance of the type you can only get in Doctor Who. So I do like the face off between between Troughton and uh, and Lawrence Payne as well, Dastari. Um, I do like that that back and forth that they have. Um, but I'll go for Sontaran Attack. It's like incidental music, all of that. And and John Stratton's Shock Eye uh, as my two favourite things of episode one. What has my dear friend Matt Hayden chosen? So I hope you enjoyed episode one. Um, oh, goodness, it's getting getting warm in here. I think someone must be putting the heating up. Um, oh, it really is getting getting warm. I won't go as far as I hoped Perry would go when I was 19. Uh, in episode one, so many things to pick from, but I particularly like the fact that they dived straight in with the second Doctor. Uh, no explanation, just go straight in with him. I do wonder whether that might have been some confusing for some younger viewers, but I love the boldness of just going with that. And the other uh, choice was, I love actors doing a bit of business. And I love um, Colin Baker's business with the Gumblejack. Although, is that a Gumblejack? I'm not quite clear. I think he's failed to catch a Gumblejack, hasn't he? But you can tell me that. And... Uh, Jamie's nifty little act with a scheme do. Uh, I think actors enjoy doing a bit of business and those two chaps do a terrific job. So those are my two choices for episode one of The Two Doctors. Ah, I like that. Now he called Jamie's... Did, was that Jamie's night? Because I know that as a Dirk, uh, which is in his... Uh, which is in his... Uh, 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 it's in his sock isn't it and uh i'm sure it's in the novelization of tomb of the cybermen or one of those that i was very impressed that J jamie had a knife sequestered about his person because uh you know he could he could wield that in times of peril i like the idea that the companion could act uh, of his own accord he called it a scheme do did he matt i'm gonna look that up later i'll learn something um 
and I yes, well, I picked. I enjoyed Colin's uh, business with the fish, and I do think it's a. And it's you're right. I think it's not a gumball jack, as he was aiming for a gumball jack, or maybe it's a small gumball jack. But uh, yeah, I I thought that was was nifty, and yeah, I I had I thought about it, I might have chosen with going for for opening with Troughton, but I've I've I felt that was perhaps me of the past because. Um, yes, of course you open with the old stuff, the old people, because they're the best. But uh, actually, I love Colin Baker as well. So um, I think perhaps, uh, you know, the older Wisebeaker as well, you know, it, 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 I actually think it's probably, I think it, it, it's it's at, at the incumbent doctor's expense. And I'm not sure if that's wise, interestingly, uh, in retrospect. I, I wonder if actually the current doctor should take the lead. Um uh, especially in a season where there are other stories where, um, you know, he is ill-served. So maybe that prevented me from choosing um, the fact that it opens in the first, you know, 10 minutes are with the old Doctor, who I absolutely adore and uh, can't get enough of. And I love all those scenes uh, with him and, and his rapport with uh, with Jamie, which has, you know, picked up where they left off. I love those two together. So that, perhaps that's what stopped me choosing it. But I'm certainly happy as a viewer without, you know, these mental gymnastics that we do to go to to watch it and enjoy i love i love the first 15 minutes of the story that that uh that are you know that are, are trout and jamie on color adventures together um so yeah good choices both but neither of them both things i highlighted but neither things i actually chose although i will get points if uh matt chooses the sontaran theme and or shock eye for later episodes because that's how it works i think yeah so uh anyway thanks to matt thanks to you uh for listening uh i'm gonna um uh turn off all the lights and activate the uh, security system that for some reason is in my ventilation shaft should anybody be crawling about in there or in fact any of my friends that i haven't spoken to for a couple of weeks have gone feral and turned into savage ventilation start dwelling beasts shaft dwelling beasts uh thank you so much uh for coming to this happy time and place at haydoke towers and i do hope you can enjoy join me again sometime soon but in the meantime uh do take care of yourself and goodbye Thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places with me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest this time around, Matt Hayden. He's on Twitter at Matt Hayden, Matt with two T's, Matt Hayden 65. Follow him there if you like. I'm grateful to patrons who include Matt Sawyer, Keith Say, Len Stewart, Neil Tate, Nick Tedston, Nick Temple, Sabrina Tirabassi, Reynard Toombs, Apollo C. Vermouth, Gally Wales, Adam Westwood, Rich Wiggins, Michael Williams, Andrew Willis, Stephen White, Ruben Herfindahl, Peter Burns, Peter Harness, Rob Lennett, Stephen Moffat, Richard Straw, and Jenny at Blue Box 99. The music for this podcast is by Dave Gates, and the podcast artwork by Dylan Patterson. If you too would like to be a patron, go to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. There are several tiers available, but they start from £3 a month. You can get a 10% discount. You can get a 10% discount if you pronounce words correctly. You can get a 10% discount if you. Shall I keep that in? Yeah, I think. I don't think anyone listens to this bit. See, the professional in me wants to go start again, Toby. But then the professional in me would be being employed by somebody rather than being a hopeful freelancer asking, blatantly asking for you to chuck money into his hat, which means perhaps I should have higher standards than this. I shouldn't work out my problems in front of you, should I? Go to my Patreon page. There's a discount if you sign up for a year. And with a year's continued employment, um, I might get the editing scissors out more frequently. Uh, or you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock, which is literally me with my, my cap in hand, uh, uh, asking for enough change for a cup of tea. Uh, I know it's called 
Kofi as in coffee, you buy me a coffee. But if, if you did give me money for a hot drink, I would more often than not buy it. I have about two cappuccinos a year in real life. Sometimes I just get a hankering for one, but uh, don't really drink coffee uh, since uh, I swallowed a lot of Pro Plus and drank a lot of black coffee doing my dissertation at university many, many years ago. And I think ever since my stomach has gone, I've had quite enough of that, thank you. But what you would be doing at Kofi is getting me something metaphorical. Um, so <laughs> what what am I talking? I've, I've lost track. So have you. Nobody listens to these bits. So there we go. Actually, I'm, I say that. I'm, protest- I'm l- deliberately protesting too much because I've had some people say, oh, we like it when you do that bit at the end. But um, I expect for the, for the two that have said that, everyone else has either switched off in disgust or not even got this far. So well done for your perseverance. I think if you listen to this much, you don't have to give me any money. It's the... Oh, no, because that doesn't work because the other the other people haven't heard that. And anyway, this is what this is. This is the pluggage for the patronage bits, which is what has to be done these days. Uh, I'm grateful to you just for listening. Uh, but there is a caveat to that. I mean, I, I am grateful to you just for listening because uh, it's nice to know that people are listening. But, um, you know, quid pro quo. And if you're not in the mood for quidding, uh, as, uh, you know, uh, evidenced if you've decided not to do the Patreon or the coffee thing, which is perfectly acceptable. But uh, metaphorical quid, invisible quid, no quids involved, apart from the Latin quid of the pro and the quo, uh, which is you can go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and give these five stars. That helps. The more five stars I get, the more visible I am, the more I go up the rankings, the more I go up the visibility when people search for Doctor Who podcasts. And there's a lot out there. So um, uh, five star reviews and perhaps a couple of lines saying nice things really just helps make my algorithms all warm and comfy, which is what they really need at this time of year. Um, Thank you for that. I'll shut up now, which I know I should have done several days ago. Operate the defence!